Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. It's the all-star edition of the Strike Zone podcast. This week, I'll discuss the biggest winners from the week in Cleveland. Who stole the show at the 2019 MLB All-Star Game? Plus, robot umpires have made their baseball debut. But when could we see them in Major League Baseball? I tell you why we shouldn't. Next on Episode 5. This is the Strike Zone Podcast. Hit well out towards right field. This one climbing at altitude. This one is gone. With news and notes from around Major League Baseball. Fias drives one in the air down the line and left. It's got a chance. Gone. Rounding the bases with the hottest topics from all 30 teams. Swung on, drilled to deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a three-run home run for the Santino. And here's your host, Will Bowling. At long last, the All-Star break is over and finally... After what has felt like forever, it's time to watch some baseball once again. Welcome back into the Strike Zone podcast. You're listening to our fifth episode here on the 104.5 The Zone Digital Network. As always, my name is Will Bowling. Glad to have you with us as we talk baseball here on The Zone. Well, if you watched the All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby, you saw a strikeout derby and a home run derby. And you saw one of the best home run derbies in Major League Baseball history. Pete Alonzo, Vladdy, John Peterson, Ronald Acuna all set a major stage for what was a really good all-star week for Major League Baseball in Cleveland. Uh, this game was a good distraction, I think, from major issues facing the league right now and changes facing baseball. Let's get into it with our first segment, the opener. Imagine hitting 91 home runs and not being given a million dollars as the home run derby champion. That's where Vlad Guerrero Jr. is right now, having set a record for most home runs in a home run derby. And he doesn't get to walk away with that big bonus because of Pete Alonzo. The polar bear, the New York Met, proved that you really can win something, even if you are a New York Met. And he showed us why he's becoming one of the biggest young stars in baseball. And I love one of this one of his quotes from the weekend, talking about a time where he was in class at Florida. He had to write a paper on what he wanted to be when he grew up. Take a listen to this and tell me this isn't one of the most likable guys in baseball right now. I got a funny story. So freshman year of college, um, I there's just class that every freshman has to take. It's called The Good Life. Mm-hmm. And you to at the beginning of the class, you have to write a, a paper, like a 500 word or five to 600 word paper on um, what is your good life? And for me, my good life is I want to play baseball. I want to have a family. I want to, I want to have a family. I want to, I want to be, be a, a good father. I want to be a good husband. And I want to, and I want to be a major league baseball player. And I want to be one of the best baseball player. I want 
I want to be the best baseball player I can be. I want to, I want to play Major League Baseball, and I got a C because it wasn't realistic enough. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like if you you can seriously, if you kind of get out of your own way, you can unlock limitless potential in yourself. And that's just kind of who I am. Well, wow. I've never wanted to do anything else. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's good stuff from Pete Alonzo, the home run derby champion, who showed us that this was a home run derby for the ages. Now, the, the night didn't get started off too well for Alonzo, who was booed as he stepped into the box for the first time because he was going up against the hometown hero, Carlos Santana of the Cleveland Indians. Alonzo hit his 14th home run with one second left on the clock, which eliminated Santana. He had a flair for drama throughout the night, and then he was better than Ronald Acuna Jr., his division rival, another star who put up 25 home runs, and I believe five of or six of them were hit to the opposite field, which is remarkable uh, on its own. Acuna hit 19 home runs against Alonzo, a total that would have won all but one matchup in last season's home run derby. And more than halfway through the four-minute round, Alonzo had just seven home runs against Acuna, called a timeout, and with 149 left, he heated up. With 30 seconds to go, he was up to 15. And as the clock went down to zero, he homered on his last two swings, including a 453-foot blast to straightaway center uh, to clinch his spot in the final where he would go on to win against Vlad Guerrero Jr. I think it's a great move for baseball to get young stars in the home run derby. I think they're marketing well guys like Alonzo, you know, guys like Acuna and Jock Peterson and Vlad Guerrero Jr. who had only hit eight home runs in the first half of this season. But nobody now is saying that baseball made the wrong choice by having Guerrero a part of the home run derby. That was fun, and I hope we get to see some of those guys in there once again in the coming years. Players in the All-Star game itself got to wear a microphone, and I love this every single year at spring training and during the All-Star game. Freddie Freeman stole the show. Take a listen to his conversation with Joe Buck and John Smoltz. Hi, Mark. Hi, Gary. How are you? I can talk. I'm talking to you now because I know what you're going to throw me. You're going to tell me. I don't think he understood you. They're going to tell me what's coming. They're going to tell me what's coming. No, heaters. Good. Here we go. First step ever with the thing in my ear. Oh, they're using multiple signs, Freddie. Darn it. I've never taken a heater in my life. Man, that was hard, guys. Oh, that was unfair, Freddie. Wow. Strike, guys. It was a strike. All right. And I'm a pitcher, so I'm being fair. Back here, then. <laughs> wow. Here comes the high heater. Oh! oh. No, well, throw strike! Three! Got him with a breaking ball, Freddie. You're a prince for doing that. And that comes courtesy of Fox. I mean, I, how can you not love that guy? I'm a Braves fan. I, I've grown up a Braves fan my whole life. And so I, I've always known Freddie was kind of like this. You, you, you can see guys on first base playing against the Braves, and Freddie's always laughing. Freddie's always uh, having a lot of fun with them and usually has a conversation with whoever's just gotten on base against one of his pitchers. But I think now Major League Baseball gets that this dude is just fun. 
and he's a heck of a ball player too. And I think a lot of years without what Yelich and Bellinger are doing in Milwaukee and L.A. respectively, Freddie Freeman would be your MVP this year so far. But Freddie just had a lot of fun. Uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz made the most of it too. And uh, I think it's good for baseball to showcase the personalities like that um, from the All-Star game especially. Well, ratings for the All-Star game, they weren't great, but still, it's the most popular All-Star game in sports. Tuesday night's game drew a 6.2 overnight rating, which is a record low overnight, actually, which surprised me because I thought it was one of the better shows that have been put on from Major League Baseball uh, in recent years. Last year's game drew a 6.5 overnight, the same as 2017. Uh, The previous record low was 2016, when in San Diego, the All-Star game drew a 6.2 overnight rating. Uh, But Fox still touted Good results here. It's the number one primetime among metered markets uh, that night. So MLB was happy to win the night. Uh, it's the sixth consecutive season that the All-Star Game is the top-rated All-Star event on television. Then again, you're not competing against much, right? That The NHL is kind of a tournament now. I like that format, but uh, it's not really appointment TV. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game is terrible. The Pro Bowl is a waste of time. And I liked this quote that I saw after the All-Star game was over, that every single year that the MLB and NBA All-Star games have been televised, the MLB All-Star game has outrated the NBA All-Star game. Uh, there's something to the, the aura in the history of the Midsummer Classic that people like. And scrolling through Twitter, where you can find me at Will underscore Bowling, I saw people talking baseball who hadn't been. You know, since September or October of last year. So it seems like this is where fans start to really tune in and say, okay, there's so many games that for the casual fan, the season really starts now with the All-Star game, and I'm in from then or, from there on out. Well, as the season in the second half of the year gets back underway, the I think maybe the most interesting team in baseball right now is the Cincinnati Reds as we finish off our opener segment here I think the Reds might be the best last place team in the past decade of Major League Baseball. And I want to go to a quote here from Jason Stark, who was on the Wake Up Zone here on 104.5 The Zone earlier this week. Take a listen to what he had to say about the Cincinnati Reds in the NL Central. It's fascinating, right? This is the closest any division has been in the history of the National League, top to bottom, at the All-Star break. And... You know, I, I don't feel a whole lot different about the division that I did a couple of months ago. But it's so much fun to say, hey, it started May 1st. Uh, you know, the Brewers would be at first place. The season started May 15th. The Reds would be at first place. The season started June 1st. The Cardinals would be at first place. And the season started in April. Uh, but it just tells you that I think the team that makes the best deal uh, the team that stays the healthiest is the team that's going to win. And so I would look at the ability of these teams to make the big deal. As I look at them, I feel like the Cubs and the Brewers are the most motivated. Uh, they're in the biggest win-now win window. And so I still think it, in the end it's those two teams that emerge. But you can tell me the Pirates are going to win, the Reds are going to win. Nothing was shocking. I mean, we are talking about a really, really competitive division 
in the Central. And you can listen back to the full conversation with Jason Stark uh, as well under the Wake Up Zone podcast. You look for Jason Stark. And that was uh, Friday, July 12th uh, that he joined our Wake Up Zone crew. Um, I think he's got some good points there that whoever makes the biggest move is certainly going to be um, out in front late. And that's not really uh, too hot of a take. But it, it seems like Cincinnati has been one of the few teams, over the years at least, uh, that has had a bullpen to match up with the rest of its lineup. I mean, nobody who's contending right now has a, a, an all-that-great bullpen in the National League. You look at the Cubs, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Phillies, the Mets, the Nationals, the Braves, really the whole NL East can't pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, the Braves have been good as of late, but you never know when that can change. Reason for optimism, though, for Cincinnati, while they are 41-46, and 46, um, they have a pretty darn good run differential. Plus 27, that's better than Philadelphia. Uh, and they're just four and a half games out of first. Now, put that in perspective, this is an article written by Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic back on July 8th. No other division in baseball has a second-place team within four and a half games of first. And that's going into the All-Star break. Reds have the second-best ERA at 377 and ERA plus at 123, while allowing the second-fewest number of home runs behind the Nationals with just 103. So, we'll see. You know, you can say all that and say, well, you know, Rosecrans writes that the reason for pessimism is they've done all that and they're still five games under 500 in the last place. So we'll see what happens in Cincinnati. That's the most intriguing team in baseball to me. You know, a lot of Reds fans are saying, you know, uh, I can't get my hopes up. Don't let me get my hopes up. Maybe not time to get to that point yet. But if we're August 1st still talking like this after the All-Star break is done, after the trade deadline's done, maybe Cincinnati could find their way in a wild card game. You never know. Maybe even the NL Central title. So next up is our robot umpire discussion in the heart of the order. If you're new to this show, we treat this like a baseball game. We have the opener for our first couple topics. And then we get into our big discussion for the week. And I still haven't really run out of big topics from baseball. Because I'll tell you what, right now, there's a lot to choose from for me <laughs> at the moment. And Robot Umpires has taken center stage in baseball this week as the big topic in the sport and even in sports in general in, a, in sort of a downtime in the game right now. Robot Umpires made their debut this past week. It's a trackman umpire. It's an independent ball. But nevertheless, it's a three-year deal, a partnership between Major League Baseball and the Atlantic League. They rolled out the automated ball strike system, ABS, during its all-star game at People's Bank Park. Now, throughout that game, an article written by Dan Connolly at The Athletic, the 3D Doppler radar screen attached to the roof of the stadium directly behind home plate, that registered pitches, and that sent information to a laptop integrated with Trackman data. Now, a lot of ballparks, most of them in minor league and major league baseball, already have this technology. This is what is used for StatCast. So the launch angle, the exit velocity that have become so big now, we know that data because 
of this technology. So it's not an extra cost. It's not adding anything to any ballparks. This technology already exists. So uh, the umpire was Brian Jabrower. I think I'm getting that right. And he had an iPhone in his pocket and one AirPod in his right ear. So he's high class, got an AirPod. And he would hear a ball or strike directive from the trackman and then make the call on the field. Now, the article states that there's only a one to two second lag between the call up in the press box and the umpire's call. I want you to listen, though, to some of the audio from the broadcast of this game, and you tell me how big this lag is. This pitch is a little low. It is one and two. Oh, a late strike call, and Trackman got me for the first time tonight. He run him up, and there was a noticeable delay on that one. Tardoslavich asking about it. First pitch is in tight on Wing Flores. First pitch to him is on the outside corner. First strike. First pitch is low for ball one. The one-two from Munson is a call. Strike three. Got to hold it now, but got to love it when it works. It is a called strike three on the little delay. Is inside for ball one. That was posted by CloseCallSports.com on YouTube. Yeah, To me, that's much longer than one or two seconds. That's closer to three or four. And that's the biggest issue for me with robot umpires. It's a more of a delay in the game for a system and for calls that I don't think are good enough to justify that long of a delay in calling something a ball or a strike. And this is not a situation where this is just a bad broadcaster. Uh, you can find this video. I'll tweet it out from my account you can find this video and see that it's not just the, the the broadcaster being behind on these calls and you're you're seeing that in the audio. No, it's this is the umpire waiting uh, two or three seconds to hear the call and then making a determination. And I, I don't think it's worth it. Then you get into the issue of pitch framing. And I think pitch framing is part of the game. I think that's how guys like Yadier Molina have cemented their legacy. And in the Atlantic League, catcher James Skelton, the guy who was calling this game, was catching the game for the Liberty team in the Atlantic League All-Star game. You know, he says that as a catcher, he does not like this stuff at all. And he said that pitch framing, the art of moving borderline pitches into the zone smoothly enough for umpires to call them strikes, might become a discarded art in the Atlantic League. Now, for now, though, it still needed an affiliated ball, meaning minor league baseball. So Atlantic League catchers, they're going to continue working on it because they want to move on from the Atlantic League and get back into a major league organization. My other question, aside from pitch framing being gone now, is can we get to the point where the margin for error is smaller than a human's? You heard at the beginning of that piece of audio a pitch where Joey Tardoslavich, if you're a Braves fan like me, you remember that name, playing for Atlanta during the Dark Ages a few years ago, had a two-seam fastball in the dirt called for a strike. And he was rung up on it. It's that first call you hear. He was rung up on it about two or three seconds after it 
went from the dirt to the catcher's mitt. Quite frankly, I think this, again, you know, shows that the margin for error is still about the same. On Wednesday, Skelton shifted a couple of borderline pitches that were ultimately called balls. And to Brower, the umpire said that he would have instinctively called them strikes based on his craftsmanship, is what he said, but instead relayed what the system ruled. And on the pitch that rung up Terdoslovich, DeBrower said it's a two-seamer that's moving down. So not only is it just barely shaving the bottom of the strike zone, but it's also received way down in the dirt. He says that's a pitch we've gotten used to calling a ball, but having said that, I can see that that pitch probably shaved the bottom. I don't think it is a strike. And I think that's pretty clearly a ball. And if you want to improve the swing and miss rates, if you want to improve the heavy hitting, the offense in baseball, this is not the way to do it. Because as you expand the strike zone down below to things that are landing in the dirt, yet nicking the edge of the strike zone, you give a big advantage to the pitcher, and you're only going to inflate strikeout numbers more. On Wednesday, when DeBrower wore that AirPod in his right ear, a computer was communicating back to him. And I don't think that that system is going to work in Major League Baseball. A, it's too long of a process. And B, pitch framing is gone. And C, we're calling strikes on balls that are in the dirt. Now, for the Atlantic League, that's not the only change that's going to be tried. There's now a 62-foot, 6-inch distance between the pitcher's mound and home plate. And this one I actually like. No more infield shifts. Mandates that two infielders have to be on each side of the second base bag when a pitch is released with the penalty being a ball. I like that. I, I feel like the shift cheats baseball. And I think a move like that would be identical to the NBA's defensive three-second violation, which changed defenders in somewhat cheating the game and camping out of the lane to stop guys like Shaquille O'Neal and stop the big, huge guys, the Yao Mings in the center of the paint. They wanted the offense. They wanted the players, not the strategy, to be the story. And right now, in an era of declining attendance an older generation leaving the game of baseball, you need to replace those older generations that are leaving the game with a younger generation. And you do that like you did in the home run derby and the all-star game by marketing the kids, by letting the kids play. And I think that adding a robot umpire that's going to change the game completely. Let's focus on that first before getting to the shift giving a robot umpire that's going to make the game more complicated will turn off younger fans from getting behind baseball. And I come at this from being a younger fan. I've said on this show before that I identify myself as an older, more old-fashioned fan. But I also know a lot of people my age that aren't watching baseball. And I know a lot of people that if they say, well, why is that pitch landing in the dirt? but we're calling it a strike. Why does it take three seconds 
to call a striker a ball. Why are we adding 30 minutes onto a game that already feels like it's the longest in sports? If you want to create new fans and end declining attendance, I don't think this is the way to do it. But there are better changes. Time reduced between innings from 2 minutes 5 seconds to 1 minute 45 seconds. That helps. A three batter minimum from pitchers. Okay, I can get behind that. I don't love it, but I understand the virtue behind it, and it's coming anyway next year to Major League Baseball. Another one, no more mound visits other than for pitching changes or injuries. That one I I don't like as much. I think maybe you can release or go back down to three mound visits. I think it's probably going to be the magic number for Major League Baseball, just like every sport mainly has three mound visits. Uh, I I don't think eliminating them is going to help because no other sport other than you know, track and field or, um, you know, cross country. That's where I come from. There's no timeouts there. But that's about it. Everything else, you know, it's okay to have a timeout to talk. Um, the, the, the other move I don't like here is uh, the option to steal first base. I don't know if you've seen this. The batter has the option to steal first on any ball in the dirt or that gets by the catcher, just like it's a strike three that, Gets past the catcher. Uh, I don't I don't think that one's going to stick. But our big topic to put a bow on it, I don't think the robot umps make a lot of sense. Human error is a part of sports. It's a part of throwing a ball just a bit outside. It's a part of striking out or not catching a fly ball. And if you want an example of how technology has changed the game, take a look at the video assistant referee in the Women's World Cup this past summer. Horrible. Don't get too cute with reviews and technology. Sure, it can help. And if we find a way to make it faster, then maybe this is a different discussion. But for right now, it's going to delay the game and it's going to complicate the game to the point where young fans are not going to be able to understand what baseball even is and they're not going to get in on it. So that's our heart of the order here for episode five. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Into the seventh inning stretch. As you listen to episode five of the Strike Zone podcast on the 104.5 The Zone digital platforms. A reminder that you can find us now on Spotify as well. We've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can also hear us at 1045thezone.com. Well, we're going to recycle a little bit here for the stretch and go back to our first episode topic because during the All-Star break, it became a big discussion again. Is the baseball juiced? Well, Justin Verlander certainly thinks so. He said in an MLB centerpiece event, the All-Star break, Telling ESPN's Jeff Passan, it's a bleeping joke. Criticizing Commissioner Rob Manfred for playing dumb on it. According to a July 11th article by Jeff Schultz of The Athletic that we'll get into more here in a minute. And he's not the only one making comments like this. Verlander said, we want more offense. It's not a coincidence. We're not idiots. Now, Major League Baseball, like we've discussed at length on this show, is on pace for a record home run tally 
by game 162 this September. And pitchers have taken notice. So have hitters. And Braves legend Dale Murphy weighed in in an athletic article, this one posted on July 11th, saying individual career highs, team historical highs, the combination of MLB high, that's the best way to determine something is different with the ball. Goes on to say, so now everybody's asking, who knew and when did they know it? There had to be some kind of knowledge that this was going to be different. But Verlander said it best, it's hard to believe they didn't know something. Now, Murphy played in an era where the ball and the mound was changed in the middle of his career. He said something was different back in his 12th year of the majors in 1987 when Murphy says he hit 44 home runs and Andre Dawson hit 49, saying a bunch of people had career highs. I've said it before. They did something to the ball. Then the next year, everything went back to normal. In 1987, teams hit 4,458 home runs, up from 3,813 the year before. And then back in 88, it was back down to 3,100. Nearly 1,500 less home runs from year to year, ending the rabbit ball era. And Murphy really says that everybody was kind of okay with it, you know? He says, I don't think it's good for the game. If 50 home runs becomes the norm or 30 home runs... For a light-hitting infielder, it hurts the game. And I couldn't agree with him more. I'm glad to hear hitters are also piggybacking off of this topic. You heard in the mic'd up segments in the All-Star game, Bellinger and Yelich, they both said, oh, well, you know, they were asked about it by Joe Buck on the broadcast, and they both said, well, I don't think they should change a thing. <laughs> well, sorry, guys. Change is coming, and it's going to be good for the game. 42, Mariano Rivera, number 42. Into our final topic of show number five, this is The Closer. Started by the legendary sound of the final ever entrance in the Yankee Stadium by number 42, Mariano Rivera. So we're going to talk some money. And our closer topic today, the Beat the Streak presented by MGM Resorts has a player with a 51-game hit streak. This dude's about to make a lot of money. So if you're not familiar with the Beat the Streak, it is a large cash prize for anybody who can submit a player that is going to get a hit that day And as they continue to get hits, that guy continues to get closer and closer to $5.6 million for selecting a major league player to get a hit on any given day 57 consecutive times. Now, of course, Joe DiMaggio has the record for the best hit streak in baseball, a 56-game hit streak back in 1941. So that's what MGM Resorts wants to see. Can you beat DiMaggio's record? The man's name is Roberto, I might butcher this, Roberto Aguirre Hoon Jr. The current leader tied the all-time record when the Astros outfielder Michael Brantley singled to right field against the Rangers' Lance Lynn in the third inning on Thursday, the first game after the All-Star break. That tied him with Robert Mosley, whose streak ended at 51 back in 2017. 
Now, the game began, according to Matt Kelly of LB.com, back in 2001, and there hasn't been a winner of the $5.6 million grand prize in the 19 years since then. Now, Aguirre Hun, Hun, whatever, <laughs> tells MLB.com, I'm flattered and proud my hobby got me here. I've always been a sports guy, but I could never imagine getting this far. He's a 32-year-old kitchen manager and Tigers fan from East Lansing, Michigan, who has big plans for that $5.6 million. Says he'd buy a house for his family and would start saving for his daughter's college fund. That'd be cool. This is only his second year playing it. His previous high was eight. He's got no strategy, apparently. Says he picks the not-so-obvious players, and his girlfriend Angela helps him in a pinch, is what he says. I'd put a ring on it if Angela's helped you get this close to $5.6 million. Now, in the history of Beat the Streak, there's been 83 streaks of 40 games or more, with the record now being 51 uh, he's got the longest streak this season after passing Calgary native Chris Walsh, who reached 49 games before his streak came to an end last week. So, Javier or Roberto, we're all behind you. Hope you get it. $5.6 million. That'd be, uh, be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for joining us here for episode number five. We will talk to you again next week. It's an Atlanta Braves-centered show on episode six coming up next week. We invite you to subscribe now. That way, all of our shows here at the Strike Zone Podcast download directly to your smart device, wherever it may be, and on whatever platform it may be. We hope you'll join us again down the road. But until then, thanks for listening to Episode 5. We'll talk to you next week here at the Strike Zone.